Welcome to Voices of Experience. Here's your host, Kate Delaney. Hello again, Kate Delaney here, and as always, thrilled and honored to be the chair of this year's Voices of Experience. Humor is the focus this time around, and I have to tell you, I can't imagine my life without it or not using it in any aspects of my business. How about you? It breaks the ice, levels the playing field, and frankly puts us in a good mood. Just the other day, I threw this gem at CSP Mary Kelly. A horse walks into a bar, and the bartender asks, why the long face? Okay, okay. Maybe that's not the kind of humor you need or that we're talking about. Let's turn to the real stars of VOE. CSP, lover of everything from Colorado and all the Colorado people and mountains and milk and whatever else comes out of silly Colorado. And Texas, too, dear. <laughs> is Kelly Verla. Hi, Kate Delaney. Hi, Kelly Verla. So um, you're all about humor at work. Mm-hmm. And you've made a living on humor, and in fact, you were at one point a stand-up comedian, still do stand-up, but you have been able to transform that into a really big career and take it to a different level as a speaker. There's your humor right there, Kate. (laughs) How did you do that? You know, it's really funny how people say, hey, do you have to be funny to be a speaker? And the line is, boom, boom, if you want to get paid. You've heard that? And what's the difference between a comedian and a motivational speaker? Several thousand dollars an hour. Um, it, it happened for me. I was loving stand-up comedy. I was always a big fan of, you name it, Carol Burnett, Steve Martin, Johnny Carson, all my heroes, right? And always thought, gosh, someday if I could be on the Carson show and he would give me the nod to come over to the couch. But then he retired, so apparently his plan and my plan were not in the same lifetime. So, but I, I used to always tell jokes, you know, and so it happened that I was on a dare, I went up on stage, I won a joke contest. Of course, my friends were happy because they all won free drinks. So they were like, yeah, she's great, whatever, <laughs> we get a pitcher of beer. Uh, so, but it, it kind of started that way, but then also I was selling radio advertising and my, my boss, uh, I went to him and I said, you know, I really want to go to this Brian Tracy um, seminar. And he goes, well, the only way you'll go is if you promise to come back and train us whatever you learn." That will be your entry fee. And I said, great. So I started to do that. And then on the side, somebody heard I was training and then said, can you come over here? And oh, by the way, can you roast this guy? So I started the roasting during professional while I was doing the training. And it kind of just, I just kept going that way. But taking humor from the stage and how you fell into it, I mean, you always liked humor. Obviously, you told us the story. But using it in the workplace can be tricky. So how do you navigate that? Well, I think the key is that you have to be respectful. You cannot use humor just off the cuff. I mean, you have to actually know your group, know your audience. You do not just start that way. If you're a manager like Michael, or what is his name on, on The Office, you don't just start with, hey, I'm going to wear a red nose and a funny tie. That's not what I'm talking about. It's seeing lighter. Not being lighter necessarily, but seeing things more light, okay, with light. Um, and you, I don't know, you just, uh, I, the way I look at it and the way I try to teach it is that you look for, look for those funny moments or something that you can talk about. Like, hey, let's talk about the copy machine. If it's like constantly not working, we can have a commentary about that. Or I don't know, just, some, just fun stuff that happens. And you use that where you weave it into employee engagement, which is really 
especially now with corporate America, we're seeing that a lot of people are disenfranchised. So corporations are spending money. They want to, they want a return on their investment. But if they have happier employees, they usually that translates to the bottom line, I would say. And that means somebody like you comes in and then you are the person that's going to talk about employee engagement, which I really personally don't like the phrase employee you engagement. You don't like the term? I don't like the term because I think it's bigger than that, actually. But okay. But Do you think I there's a bachelorette party somewhere down the line? Is that <laughs> why you... Let, let, me, let me also make a distinction. I don't go in and teach groups how to be funny at all. Right. I teach them how to be engaged yes. or engaging. And it's and here's the, the problem with the whole engagement thing is everybody thinks it's a funny tie day or it's a tell a joke day. That's not what it is. It's about totally getting passionate about what you do and how you do it. And so what I've noticed is it's... And it's not about... Being being happy either. It's being passionate and involved and engaged, okay? And so the the way that we do that is we have to be we have to ask people, "Hey, what makes you tick? What ticks you off?" That's like my great grandfather used to say, "You got to know what motivates people. You got to know what makes them tick and what ticks them off." And in order for us to get closer to that, even if you hate your job, you may love your check. Hello. So at least I can motivate you. Go, hey, you remember that paycheck you like so much? Hey, you want to get another one in another couple of weeks? Hey, the sooner that you finish this, the sooner. So I mean, there is there's a whole thing that goes with engagement. Now, if I'm going to teach people how to see funny, what I teach them is how how can I look at this in a lighter way? That's usually the way I start. Now, and I go in and I say, okay, um, I'm going to I'm going to talk to you about X, and you tell me your biggest issue with that, and then I say, now let's look at that. What do I really control? What do I not control? Now I'm seminaring you. This is not what I meant to do on the humor tape. <laughs> no, that's we're fine. not supposed to be we're not supposed to be serious <laughs> on the humor tape. Okay, so take everything I said and add a laugh track to that, and it should be fine. Exactly. <laughs> and what do you find that um, you know how how do the audiences take it? I mean, are they that's that's they're little nuggets. That's great. Well, example, uh, what do I love about my job? Uh, the thing I love the most, the light bulb moment. It's the aha. I never know when it's going to happen. And by the way, I'm moving back and forth in my seat, and that's leather. That's leather sound you hear. That is nothing else but leather sound you're hearing. There are other sounds that you may think it is, and that is not what it is. I'm just saying, Kate put a whoopee cushion <laughs> in my chair. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. <laughs> All right. But I'm just saying, I'm just so... Thin, I'm just moving around this chair quite a lot. <laughs> we all know that's not true. I'm Greek. My hips come around the corner about two minutes before I do. Um, but what I'm suggesting is that when you get a really good grip on what you don't like, it's it's important for you to know what you don't like because if you know what you don't like, then you can always focus on what you do like. And if you're in, a, for instance, leadership position, you've got to know that about your people. You've got to know that about yourself first. It's like get your own oxygen before you help others. That's what I always say. Yeah, it makes sense, totally. Do you think, um, I mean, I think the arena that you're in is an, an arena where there, there's a lot of companies are hiring. I think there's a lot of opportunity for people in that area, especially mm. with a little bit of the right humor. But yeah. is humor dangerous to use when you don't know how to use it? You said, for example, mm. not throwing it out there, not thinking <laughs> off the cuff. Well, let me put it this way. Uh, it's a lot easier to do humor when you're in front of a very emotive audience, for instance, sales and marketing, they tend to really gravitate. And but but people that they show their emotions, you love that. Uh, if they're not, like I did a group of actuaries, which is a group of people that they figure these lifetime tables about when you're going to die, which they you know take one look at me and they go, oh, one more piece of baklava on this chick's out the window. But but to be honest, I was I would do conferences with them and I would think, oh my gosh, I'm tanking. This is awful. And they were like, every once in a while, you'd say something that most groups would go, ah, oh, and they'd go, ha 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 ha, like that. And it was very 
in obvious, if they thought it was funny or they were sneezing, I wasn't sure which, but here's what I knew. They asked me back three times. So even the funeral directors, it was, it was probably one of the craziest groups I was with. But because I'm so weird and I'm so emotive, it was like, I guess they were in a zoo and they were watching this strange animal going, we don't know what she's going to do. Do you have a tranquilizer? Um, no, no, let's get a net. Let's throw it. So I, what I mean by all that is you have to know the group that you're with. And so I do have a tendency, though, to temper down if I've realized I just got thrown into a group that was described to me differently. So I temper it down. But if I go in and I know it's sales and marketing and I know they're off the charts, I know they're going to be crazy because I like to do flash mobs at the end or group crazy dance just to kind of get engaged and send them off into either the wild blue or send them off into the rest of the conference. That's what I love to do. So when people describe what I do, they usually use two words. They say energy and they say passionate. So I've got a lot of energy and I go out in their audience and I really bring them in, you know, but I do fun things with people. And here's the thing, you got to do safe, fun things. So in other words, you don't put people on the spot. You don't put people on the spot. And so you want to make sure that when they do want to participate, you give them the chance to succeed. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, they're going to be cute and fabulous and the room is going to love them. But you'd never, ever want to embarrass somebody like that. We're here with Patrick Henry. He's an extraordinarily talented, I'm going to say, entertainer slash speaker. Who doesn't know Patrick Henry? So when you, <laughs> how did you climb the mountain? How did you start out, Patrick? Some people that are listening to this don't know. I mean, maybe three or four. Maybe three or four. Uh, I, I kind of grew up in this business. My dad was a speaker. And so a lot of the, the people that, were the early members of NSA were the guys who were in my living room and so and I never wanted to be a speaker um, I wanted to be Garth Brooks and so I, you know imagine the the, the conversation after uh, graduating from college from the University of Southern Mississippi I went home to Auburn Alabama you may be asking why didn't you go to Auburn that's right why <laughs> I, I did go to Auburn it's a good year too mm-hmm. um, but I imagine the conversation with my father about how um, I'm taking this college degree and all these dreams and aspirations, and I'm moving to Nashville to become the next Garth Brooks. <laughs> was not a great conversation. But um, after a while, he said, son, I will support you in spirit. Get a job. And so I moved to Nashville, and I started to do all the things that, that, you, that you hear thousands of people before doing, waiting tables, um, playing songs. And um, eventually I got a opportunity to... I was playing at a place called the Bluebird Cafe, and a um, guy approached me afterwards, and he asked to, to um, if I would come and perform for his company meeting. It was the Tennessee Farm Bureau, and so I put together a bunch of songs and stories, which is what you do at the Bluebird. You tell stories, and afterwards he approaches me, and he says, I, I sure enjoyed your speech. And I'm thinking, speech? What's he talking about? Speech? My dad's the speaker. I'm the singer, songwriter. Then he handed me a check for $500. And I said, I'm glad you enjoyed that speech. And so, although I grew up knowing about the meetings industry and the speaking business and how speak, especially humorous, my dad was a humorous, um, it was at that moment that I realized there's, there's a place for me in this business. And so I, um, I still use my guitar when, when I 
when I'm hired to speak, but I talk about customer service and um, and I've created a, a framework of content that I wrap all the funny songs and stories around. And so it's relatively, it's unique. And so it keeps me on the road. So speaking of funny, and that's what we really want to focus on, the humor, how do you keep it fresh and how do you make sure it matches your audience? Uh, I'm always writing. And, you know, somebody was telling me one time, they were, we're talking about people stealing material. And she told me, by the time they steal my material, I'm, I've moved on to new material. And so they're stealing old material. And I still use material that I've written years ago. But I'm, I'm always writing material. I'm always coming up with, um, with, with, with new ideas. I'm working on a song right now called It's Not Easy to Be a Republican Anymore. <laughs> of course, I couldn't do that one in a speech. But, um, you know, I, I will oftentimes, I don't do this for every client, but I'll customize songs. And Lori Guest really got me into that. And she called, well, actually, let me back up. Tom Singer did first. He was writing an article for um, uh, PCMA, their, their publication, and he started naming his speaker friends and how they create unique opportunities. And he said, oh, yeah, and Patrick Henry will write you a customized song. And I um, read the article, called him up, and said, thanks for that. So um, so anyway, Lori <laughs> called me one time, and, and not, not long ago, and she said, I've got a crazy idea would you ever write a customized song? And so, um, and I said, well, sure. And tell me what you have in mind. And so she, her idea was to be able to call me from the night before, from the convention. I'll write the song, record it with a green screen, put their logo behind me, I'll email it to her. Then she plays it during her speech. And, she, and so, and I'm like, well, let's try it for free because I don't want the pressure of it not working. And it worked. And so um, I've done a couple for her, and then other speakers find out about it, and so I'm doing all these customized songs. Now, I don't like the pressure of doing it the night before, but um, they, people send me ideas and, and information about their client, and I'll come up with a funny parody, and, and we'll talk to each other through the, you know, the screen. I would imagine that helps your material in general because you're doing things you have to do, even if it's, you don't prefer the night before. It's on the fly, yeah. isn't it? I work best under a deadline. Um, I'm very consistent with, with um, you know, I, I write a lot. Um, I'm very consistent with that. Uh, but if I know I have to get it done, it just, it, it, I, that's just how I work best. You're, you speak to a lot of groups about customer service. Why does humor work so well? Uh, humor work. I think humor. You know, I was about to say humor works with everybody. It, it, it's it's not true. There's this one client that I'm talking to now, and they're like, "We don't want the guitar. We're not looking for entertainment." I'm like, "Well, I've got a long list of non-guitar playing, non-funny speakers I can send you." But um, people want to laugh. People want to have a, a good time. I mean, the height of learning happens at the end of laughter. Jeffrey Gittimer says that, and. Um, and so I believe if you can get them laughing, they're more receptive to what you have to say. So with the writing and coming up with the clever and the deadlines, do you have to keep on top of current events, something that happens in the sports world, political world, just in general, what's happening in the industry? How do you keep it fresh and know what's going on? Well, that's a good question. Um, when I customize, it's not so much with current events as it is industry-specific. Like, um, Neen James hired me to do a, a parody song for her, and she was speaking in HR. No, not HR. It was um, credit unions. 
And so, I, you know, send me a list of, of issues they deal with. Tell me about the day in the life of an average credit union, you know, uh, employee. And so, you know, I'll customize that way. I've got a, a funny story that I'll, that I'll, that I use where um, there's a place for me to customize a punchline every time with a different client. And a lot of times I use customer experience. I think I say, um, you know, went back to my office and I sat there drinking the coffee and, and I remember the quote that I always heard about the definition of insanity is a man who tries the same thing over and over again expecting different results. At least that was my definition until blank, you know, and then I'll fill in the blanks. Either. It's got to be interesting to be in your family, like at Thanksgiving or sitting around a table <laughs> or like Fourth of July. It's like everybody swapping speaker stories. Well, you know, um, it's interesting. My dad and I never did that because he passed away. When he passed away, I was just getting into the business, but I grew up hearing those. His, his best friend was was Al Walker and Nito Cobain, so I'd kind of sit there and listen to their stories. And, and it's funny because I'm having a lot of the same experiences that they had now that I'm in a new, in a, like on the board with NSA. And, 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 and so, but I'll tell you, um, a lot of people don't realize that my mother-in-law, Tony runs Jeannie Robertson's office and has for over 30 years. And so a lot of the, our, I, mean, I live half a mile away from Jeannie. And so a lot of our family um, events like Thanksgiving or Christmas, we'll invite Jeannie and, and Left Brain over. And so, um, so that's when you, <laughs> you have two speakers going at it. My wife just rolls her eyes and just says, call me when you stop talking about yourselves. So it's like fighting for air, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love she it. She usually wins, though. <laughs> <laughs> she usually wins. Do you hear that, Jeannie? So that's good stuff. All right, thank you, Patrick Henry. Thank you very much. We're here with Michael Hoffman, CSP, former VOE chair, mm -mm -mm. and a lot of other letters that surround his head around his name flying around. <laughs> so we thought it'd be fun to bring him in and talk about proposals, meeting planners, adding the funny, what happens when they don't think it's so funny on paper and it doesn't play, and just navigating the choppy waters of getting heard and getting hired, getting bigger business. But how risky is it when it seems like they want the same old thing? Yeah, funny is a risky thing, and selling funny is an art into itself, I believe. So I think it's a great topic. Yeah, so how do you sell funny? How do we? How do you sell that you're going to put fun into a day at a corporation or to a keynote at a corporation? Well, you know, in a nutshell, we'll start with the end in mind because where we're headed is uh, a very specific area, and that is you have to connect the fun to the ROI. What are we getting out of it? Why are we doing it? Why are they going to take a chance with them stretching themselves out of their comfort zones? Uh, and why would they pay you to do it? So you, uh, you have to start with the end in mind, which is the return on investment for this little shtick that we're going to do, whether it's getting somebody up from the audience, whether it's uh, asking them to participate, or whether it's, I'm going to do this funny bit, this exercise, unless you're connecting it to the ROI, you will have a hard time. So in, in essentially, where you start is, what's the return on investment, why are you doing it, and, and, uh, and aim for that. So... Give us an example of what's happened to you that's worked and what's really blown up. Well, I'll tell you a nightmare that's just happened recently, that which really gives the, sort of the context as to why funny is so important to sell on purpose. And that was uh, 
I have a, have had a client that I've been with for oh, quite a while. It's every year the same event. They brought me back for seven years. This was the seventh year. And every time, and you love clients like that, and they know you and you know them and you can take chances because they're safe uh, or they, they feel safe with you and they allow you to be bigger and bolder because that's what they're paying you for. Well, there was a jump in power, there was a shift in power, and I did not do my due diligence in connecting with the new power base, the people that are now, quote unquote, in charge, instead uh, showing up uh, because they didn't feel the need to sit down and walk through everything I was going to do, get them to know me. So it was a blank slate when I got to the event, and I knew something was awry immediately just by the way that there was no connection at all. They did not want to connect with me personally. They did not. So I didn't get a chance to have them feel safe that what I was going to do was going to be good. And... Um, uh, because of that, we didn't have enough time to really walk through and help me sell them on some of the things we were doing as an MC, as the keynoter. And uh, when they started looking at the titles of what I was doing and some of the slides that I had that were set up to have games, you know, before the next speaker, we're going to do a, you know, guess who this person is out of a crowd and things like that. Um, uh, you know, two truths and a lie. Lots of things that uh, Brian Walters, just a fantastic at inter uh, interaction, have we've created, or I've, I've just just used some of the things that he suggested. Well, on paper, they don't get it, and it, and it's scary, and they started yanking yanking things, yanking all the interaction, yanking the funny, yanking the time that I would need to build the connection to keep this day long, interactionless, oh my gosh, you know, data heavy, you're killing me, event fresh and new and staying with us for, you know, five, six hours on the floor. And I ended up being one of the highest paid you know, name readers, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please welcome X person up to the event. And that was it. That was, that's all I did. They yanked everything. And of course, you know, why would they have me back again? The, the value was nothing. It was not there. Right. Sometimes you can't convince though, right? But the not on the fly. There's too stress. It's too stressful at the event. I knew I was doomed. I knew I was doomed. And I knew where I had dropped the ball. And that will never happen again. So yeah. your best advice to everybody listening is you got to connect. You have to connect absolutely before the event. Just know that at an event, you know, that is the last place to, and, and I had fallen into the trap of, of working with people for so long that I did not realize that there was that shift. Had I known and had I do, done my due diligence, it was just all steam, you know, full speed ahead. Most of us don't have that, you know, our, our relationships with brand new every time, but learn, learn from me, learn from me, <laughs> please, if anything, learn from me. It's, uh, you know, even, even in first time events, funny has to be sold. Interaction has to be sold. It's a scary thing. And they've got to know the reason why you do what you do and how you're going to do it so that they feel safe to allow you to take their audience someplace. Yeah. And that's, that's what kind of felt from that. What happens when you go to an event or you're planning for an event and you get thrown a hard curveball? You've planned for something, you've invested mm. time and money and whatever else, you got props, you got whatever you have, and just all of a sudden, boom, it's off and you got to re-rack. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, that story was one that kind of proved that, you know, when you're not ready, it can throw you through a curveball. And there was nothing I can do to convince them. However, um, one of the, you know, some, we all have stories where we can go back and go, my, my, my dad used to call them, this is time for heroes. The mere mortal would run in this disaster. But if you can pull something out of this, you will become legend. I love, I live for those. Most, most speakers do. They live for those moments where the whole audience goes, Mike. 
deal with this? You know, holy cow, what's going on? And um, uh, I, I love it on the fly. This is disastrous. Somebody needs to pull something out of it. And where I usually go is, where's the, where is the ROI on this? What can we possibly walk away from? I'll give you an example. For instance, there was an interaction that uh, I was doing with an audience that uh, uh, was getting people up and, and talking about you know, um, uh, being open. Uh, you know, what was your greatest uh, your your greatest challenge that you faced this year? And long story short, people were getting up and sharing, you know, funny stories. You know, I blew it, knew it, and what I learned through it type of things. And uh, one person stood up, actually the second person, and he was the the COO of the company. And he talked about how they made some choices with the company that uh, you know dealt with uh, you know pays and and raises and things like that this year. And everybody's mad at him. And the audience used that as an excuse to jump on the negativity of the company. And it went downhill from there to where the CEO was looking at me like, you better do something. You better be funny, pal. You know, do something, help us. And uh, the audience had allowed me because of the interactions to to pull the, the funny out of that and to laugh at the situations of dealing with price changes and dealing with, you know, COOs who have to work in a vacuum of, of stuff and making jokes or light of a situation, but also holding people accountable to the, this is not the time or the place, um, help turn it around. And it, was, it saved the meeting as far as uh, laughing at the situation as opposed to uh, allowing people to go down the dark hole, but they needed somebody to pull them out of it. And so, that's, that's what helped. So most speakers are, a lot of speakers are very um, perfectionist, I guess I'll call, I'll say there's a big chunk of speakers that I've met that are perfectionists, but you kind of have to be able to work in the flexibility world now, don't you? Especially with technology, the way things are changing so fast. You can't necessarily marry yourself to one way. Oh, holy cow, absolutely. I, I believe in preparation. I mean, you have to know, I know the first paragraph that's coming out of my mouth, and I know the last paragraph coming out of my mouth, and I know the, 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 the structure I'm working with. But if you're not present, on the field, you you're going to miss those golden opportunities. You know, I, I definitely believe in preparation, but you've got to be present and you've got to be able to, to move on the fly. I mean, my gosh, uh, we've all had the horror stories of the of the you know, the lights going out or the you know, you know my audio visual doesn't work. Well, okay, monkey boy, let's here we go. We're not stopping. <laughs> so I appreciate the fact that your PowerPoint went down, but you know what are you going to do now, Tonto? And so uh, you know you better have something up your sleeve to keep going. To me, those are those are hero times, and uh, yeah, step up. Perfect. Thank you, Michael Hoffman. You're quite welcome, Kate <laughs> Delaney. You know, uh, I think uh, uh, being a superhero in those uh, times when the mere mortal would run is is essential. And sorry, we're gonna have to edit this. <laughs> I don't know. How did we go from from what we originally wanted to talk about to that? To superheroes. Yeah, to superheroes. How do we do that? Because we're talking. Yeah, really? yeah. <laughs> okay. This oh, is a classic this example of This is going on. This is really cool. What do you do? Because <laughs> we're just talking about proposals and what happens when you get thrown the curveball. And when we were originally talking, it was like, uh, you know, the, the challenge with funny is not everybody knows it and they're afraid of it. So how do you sell it? And so mm -hmm. my big tip was, was connected to the ROI. And then I, I, don't, I don't put all the, I don't outline it out. I don't tell them all the steps that I'm going to do with the funny. I will give them, if they, if they want to know what you're going to do, or here's some of the interactions that we're going to do, I'll headline it. And I want it to be a headline that's juicy enough for them to go, what is this? And then I can walk them through it. And if I can walk you through it, I can tell you that this is the reason why we're going to do this. This is the reaction I'm telling you you're going to get. And then they build a little bit of trust. 
in, okay, he knows what he's doing as opposed to just sure hope he's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you have to get people behind you. And, and when people can hear it out and they see it in their head, they have a greater chance of doing it. Because funny is scary. What about, Bottom line. What about a lot of times these go through committees? So what I think is funny, somebody else doesn't think is funny, or everybody's got to vote in it. That's got to be tougher. It, it is. And, and, but, you know, uh, hopefully that's what they're paying you for. And so, in a, like, for instance, uh, most people, I, I would hope that you'd have an original interview. And in that quick interview, I want them to know my style. I want them to, I'll give them a taste of, a, of an exercise that I'm going to do. And if they can take this exercise, then we'll be just fine. And so I'll, I usually do an exercise that's very interactive with an audience. And I'll tell them why I'm doing it and what I know is going to happen and how I'm going to use that to drive home the point. And so in that quick little exercise, they're going to see, number one, I can control an audience. And number two, I'm not afraid of getting people to get up and connected. And I use that as an excuse to drive home what they're trying to accomplish with their people. And I can get something out of it. Once I have them with those, th with those three or four things, they're gold and they trust. And then they can let go. Thanks, Michael. Michael wanted me to remind you that he and his co-chair, Christine Cashin, are excited about this year's Influence 2017. They've been planning for the big event July 8th through the 11th at Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. For all the juicy details, nsaspeaker.org. Click on events under learning experiences. You won't be disappointed. Mind-blowing. Can't wait to see you there. Time for the monthly oops moment when speakers reveal, well, when things didn't go quite as planned. Hi, I'm Donna Hansen, CSP from Melbourne, Australia, and I wanted to tell you about my oops moment. It was about eight years ago and I was presenting at a conference some tips and shortcuts on how to do things in Word and Excel when the unthinkable happened. The globe on the data projector that the client had provided blew up. Well, two minutes in, I'd done a few little tips and shortcuts and there really wasn't anything I could do. We couldn't continue with the presentation because it really required the technology. Now, I could have done a diva hissy fit and uh, gotten all upset, but what I did was just acted professional and just offered to send some additional resources to people so that they didn't actually miss out. By being professional, what happened some eight years later, last week in fact, was I was connected by somebody who mentioned that exact presentation. The two minutes had had such an impact on them that they'd asked me to quote on doing some work within their organization around productivity with technology. So the moral of the story, sometimes when stuff just doesn't go according to plan, you just got to keep your game face on, act professional and do what's the right thing to do. That's my oops moment. Hi, this is Chris Price. My biggest oops moment was actually emceeing an event in Germany. Uh, many years ago, it was probably for about 500 leaders, and standing on the stage, and I'm kind of summarizing what's been going on so far, and I'm getting some odd looks, and I'm thinking, well, I'm really connecting with them. and But they're not looking at me in the eyes. And I'm thinking, why? And they're beginning to make some unusual gestures, and I'm thinking, oh, that must be German gestures. It turned out that I was uh, 
fly, I was flying with my fly open. My zipper was open, and I didn't realize it. And uh, they were basically giving the German symbol for, you know, hey, your zipper's open. And I thought it meant, hey, you're doing a great job. Hello, NSA family. This is Deborah Gardner, and my oops moment happened a couple years ago in Tampa, Florida, during a pre-program audiovisual check. The conference theme was Follow Your Yellow Brick Road to Success, which, of course, we know is related to The Wizard of Oz. So I thought, to be clever, I would wear my green dress and red hills. Well, once I stood in front of the green-themed stage backdrop, the on-camera view only displayed my arms, legs, and head. I looked like a spider with no body, in other words. Funny looking, yes, but not so funny to the meeting professional. And with no other outfit on hand, they ended up having to take down the backdrop just for my presentation. Lesson learned. Always ask what the staging looks like and discuss your attire. Oops. It's Jill's Juicy Bites, the place to get communication strategies to grow your business. Here's Jill Schiffelbein. Hey everyone, this is Jill back again with another Juicy Bite on ways that you can use technology to communicate more effectively and grow your business. This time, let's talk about content. And not the content that, oh, you spend hours and hours and hours writing and looking over and editing meticulously. No, I'm talking about getting good content out there fast and using technology to help you. Let me give you an example. The most easy thing you can do right now, if you haven't already, is get a transcript of any keynote speech, training, presentation, workshop you've done. Get a transcript of that. Have it recorded and get that transcript. I like to use rev.com, R-E-V dot C-O-M. And if you've been listening to this series, you know that that's one of the many tools I recommend. But I get that transcript, and then from that transcript, I'm able to dissect that into multiple pieces of content. Say I want blog posts, email newsletter content, video scripts, social media posts, cues for questions, content for a webinar, it's all there, and you have it in one place. But let's say, yeah, Jill, that's an old trick. I've already done that. I want something better. Well, here you go. When people are searching, they're searching more and more in the form of questions. And if you don't know this, then review, I believe it was October's Juicy Bite, which will tell you all about how people have fundamentally changed the way that they search for information. And that'll clue you in. But when people are asking questions, the content that they want is content that obviously answers those questions. So how do you create that content? Well, one of the best ways is by having someone else ask you those questions and have a natural conversation about it. So get on a technology like Zoom, like Skype. You could even just record a simple phone call if you wanted to, but y'all know me by now. I'm a big fan on getting that video and getting it captured. But no matter what, you're going to have that conversation with someone and have them pitch you questions back and forth, questions that naturally come to mind in the course of a conversation. After this, once again, send that transcript, uh, record, get that transcript done from the recording, and then voila, you have a ton of content that now you can use to market, to post on social media, your website, maybe even content that you can use in your speaker media kit or in press releases and press pitches. So much useful information there. 
But if you want to say, Jill, you know what? I like that. I'm going to do it, but that's easy. Let me take it one step further. Well, you ask for it, you'll get it. If you want to go one step further, I suggest you use technology to help you crowdsource information. I'm going to give you an example that I recently did with our own member, Neen James. Neen is doing some research for a book she's working on. And in doing that research, we collaborated on using Zoom as a massive video conference as a way to crowdsource information. We had about a dozen people on the line. I, of course, was there in my techie capacity to help facilitate. And Neen posed questions. And the people on the call, again, about a dozen or so, engaged via chat and also engaged via audio and video. And it was a massive conversation done around research that she needed for her book. Now she can take this transcript, take these smaller videos and chunk those up and use them as content. And of course, get the transcripts from everything that was talked about, everything in the chat and repurpose it to use it for her book and for other promotional materials. Holy cow, that's not just one-on-one. Talk about one-on-12. That's a lot of bang for your buck and a ton, ton of content for a relatively short amount of time input. So if you need content fast, now you know what to do. This has been Jill Schiffelbein with another Juicy Bite. I'll be with you coming up next month. Let's check in with the National Speakers Association President, John Molidor, for our monthly conversation. Time for the monthly conversation with Dr. John Molidor, President of the NSA. John, I have a question for you. This is so important. Are you funny? Um, I think I am, but most people don't associate me with being funny. And I think the beauty of humor or being funny is there are so many different ways that one can be funny. So I try to find my own way in this area. But even in academics, which is your background, I'll say, and maybe that's why, people don't think you're funny, or let's say they don't assume you're going to be funny, even if you're in the most serious, I'll call it lecture, because lecture and more freeform speaking can be different. Extemporaneous speaking is different. We know there's different forms of it. But if you're in an academic setting, and then you throw in some funny, I bet that that works with that room, doesn't it? Oh, it's the bar is set so low (laughs) that... (laughs) You could probably use the lowest form of humor, and people would be like, wow, wow, he he told a joke, or he cracked a joke, or he did something, you know, word pun. So, again, it's probably going to be matched to the setting itself, but I think it's critical. Humor, for me, in so many ways, is also a means to let the brain either reset itself or to give the brain a break. Because if you're teaching something or you're communicating some concept to your audience, the brain probably can only take so much. And so humor becomes a very nice way to allow it to go, oh, okay, I can rest a little bit now because the person's telling a funny story or they're breaking up the content in that way. So humor can be used very effectively in that regard. Same thing. You don't have to go tell a joke. You could do it on using certain slides. You could be your own visual. You could change your voice up. So lots of different ways to use humor to give the brain a chance to rest. And then it's like, okay, back to content. 
and then the brain will refocus. And for the speaker, too, so that's the same thing. as That's what you're saying as well. Then the brain refocuses. You sort of have that little break. But don't you think it also cuts, I don't want to say the tension, but it changes the mood a little bit in the room? Absolutely. My sense is many audiences look to the speaker or the presenter to go, all right, well, what are we supposed to be feeling today or even thinking today? And so... We've all seen presenters who come across so serious, and then the audience sort of feels like, I have to be really serious, and versus if they are going to be playful or that, you know, yes, this is a serious topic, but I'm also going to use humor to break the tension or to say, you know, we're all part of the human condition. We're all part of this thing called humanity, and the Humor is just part of life, and we need to make sure that that we're role modeling that when we're presenting. Do you ever feel like I, I sometimes really feel for the presenters when I think they're trying to be funny? Because certainly in our organization, there's a lot of fabulously funny people that are naturally funny. And you mentioned it. There's different forms of humor. And then there's kind of the selling of humor. And people that just don't feel comfortable decide they have to tell a joke. They have to come up with a punchline. They have to think of something funny. And the pressure to be funny, I believe sometimes it's not authentic and it ruins what the speaker is actually trying to do. Yeah, most of us can tell when someone is trying to be funny versus be funny. And I think the the old adage of be yourself, know yourself, applies here too, because you have to know what type of humor you're comfortable with. Some are going to be comfortable with slapstick, others are going to be with puns, others are going to be with the, the story that has humor sprinkled throughout. So I would just say, find the way that you're most comfortable, because that's going to come across to your audience. Remember, if the audience is looking at you to say, well, what am I supposed to be in the audience? And you're like being very natural because that's your style. People actually will adjust to that and accommodate that. But if you're trying to be somebody else, it usually comes across as slightly off. And I think that's the one of the worst things you can do as a presenter is if you're coming slightly off, then the audience is going to go, oh, this doesn't feel right. And then at that point, if their brains are going, this doesn't feel right, they're not hearing what you're saying. They're not going to hear your content. They're really not going to pay attention to your topic. Mm, that's so true. I've seen that happen. And I've seen people, sadly, then they get so disengaged with the speaker, they slip out of the room. Oh, and that's a terrible feeling when you start to see those numbers add up. And, you know, if one or two people leave, they've got to run to something else. It depends on where you're speaking. But when you see a mass exodus, oh, that's got to be tough. And then I think what happens is when that happens is then people start to get inside their brain and start going, oh, they're leaving. Did they not like that? Did I do something wrong? And then the same thing starts to happen is now you're off track as the presenter because you're inside your brain versus I'm here to share, I'm here to provide information, I'm here to whatever your topic is. You lose that because now the brain is processing while people are leaving, what's going on, and then you start going, maybe, 
I'm not that funny. I shouldn't have done that. Why did I even try that? And it just, we find that it's a, it's a downward spiral. Oh, yeah. Did you ever tell a joke that you thought was just killer and it didn't work? Oh, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then again, everybody knows sort of our classic lines, you know. I don't say it out loud, but I think to myself, well, that one was for me. I'm so sorry. (laughs) They didn't get that one. I thought it was great. But the other thing I don't do, and I've seen speakers do this, is they call attention to it. And then, to me, it's like that downward spiral again. It's like I've heard speakers go, you know, that was a really funny joke I just told you, and the last group I told it to killed themselves laughing, and, and you guys didn't, which the message becomes, something's wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> and probably not the message you want to send to your audience. But uh, but half the time, so I don't, I tend not to tell jokes. And there may be observations or So even if they don't laugh, it's like it's no big deal. Um, I just move on. And then, you know, I've also had people come up afterwards and say, that was hysterically funny. And I'm thinking, but you didn't laugh. And then I have to remind myself, yeah, people demonstrate, you know, their laughter in many different ways. Obviously, if it's external, we like that. But a lot of people just sort of chuckle to themselves. And they get it and they like it but they just don't give the same energy or output as those that are laughing out loud. Yeah, a couple of good points that you can't, people don't always display what they're thinking or feeling. And what you said also about groups, every group is different. So you have this great killer line or slide or some observation that's funny and it works with 10 groups and then you go to a different group and it just doesn't work. You have to have that ability to, as you also said, move on, correct? Absolutely. And the other one I've noticed is that sometimes in the pre-speech, when I'm, I'm talking to the meeting planner or the person setting up the event, is I'll ask them, is there someone in the group that the audience looks to to decide how the audience is going to react? So I've been at a couple of sessions where it's pretty clear. It's almost like you say something and their heads all swivel, boom, and then they're looking at the person (laughs) to see if he or she is laughing. And if if he or she is, then they laugh. And it's a really funny dynamic. But there are, you know, it's a small group. But, you know, I had to learn that one the hard way, too, (laughs) is to say, all right, if that person (laughs) thinks it's funny, the audience will, too. It's a very bizarre feeling when you're the presenter when that happens. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's kind of like a, you just gave me a visual of, um, I think of in the Navy when somebody salutes and they say, permission to come aboard, you look over at the person, permission to laugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay now. <laughs> can I? I guess I can. I can giggle. This was a lot of fun. Dr. John Molitor, president of the NSA. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Kate. Time for another one-minute power thought with Dave Lieber on writing and creativity. This time, we're talking about taking a risk. 
Yeah, three words that uh, are scary. Uh, I think whenever you communicate with people, you have to be a leader, whether you're a writer or a speaker or a coach or a trainer. And you have to do things that you normally wouldn't do in real life because you have to set yourself up as an example of someone who, who is willing to go out and challenge and be challenged. And so, you know, take a risk. Uh, for me, I remember as a young reporter trying to establish myself so I could get hired at a great paper, I went and interviewed the Imperial Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. You know, I lived in a nudist colony for three days. I don't know which one was better or worse, but they they were both uncomfortable. They were both un un unnatural, not unnatural. But I took a risk, and when I did get hired later, you know, they said it's because you did those kinds of stories, and we want guys like you and gals too. So that's my advice: just uh, go where you're not supposed to go, meet people you're not supposed to meet, be safe, be careful, but but step out of your zone. It really makes a difference. I love that. I have a, a saying, and I have it right above my computer. It says, "Leap, and the net will find you." I love that. Maybe the net won't find you, but take a risk anyway, right? You, know, you should fail once a year at something. That's Absolutely. what I learned from a boss who gave me permission to fail. Absolutely, I, I love it. I did a good job at it, too. You know, so. <laughs> so it worked. All right, so take that away from this one. This was terrific. One Minute Power Thoughts on Writing and Creativity with Dave Lieber. Time to take it out of the park on Voices of Experience. So we're talking about humor, and it's funny, when you say the word humor, it means different things to different people, I think. I think a day without humor, to me, is like a day without 10 cups of coffee. Casey McNeil joins us now. He is so funny. He is a radio and TV personality, a speaker. He's open for many legends, a comedian himself. Again, just has an incredible body of work. He's been in a ton of movies, so I know that you have seen this face. But we're speaking to him. This is audio, so you're going to have to go and look him up. And uh, it's a handsome, funny guy. Casey, thanks so much for hanging with us. Hey, my pleasure. Great to be here. So, humor. This is such a broad question, but when someone says, hey, what's funny? And that's a tough question to answer. What do you say? Well, essentially funny, I think, is when, I mean, there's different libraries in the school of what is funny. And basically anything that makes people laugh is funny. But there's a few common things that they've determined about it. One most particularly is when you have a line that's like a punchline, so to speak, that refutes assumptions that are made by the story that set it up. For example, something happened to me last night. In the middle of the night, this crazy woman starts pounding on the door of my hotel room. So, you know, I had to get up and let her out. <laughs> and so you see, now this is an example of why when you have a punchline that refutes the assumptions made by the setup, whenever there's surprise involved, something funny happens. Right. I love that. Well, that's like reverse engineering. And you know what? It takes a big brain to do that. That's tough. you got to sit and think about that for a couple of seconds. So it's not what's obvious head on. It's doing what I call reverse engineering. And what you say is, you know, turning around the assumption. And people have certainly made a great living on that, haven't they? Oh, yeah, indeed, indeed. And that's the thing. Basically, when you can bring surprise into an element... It actually works the left and right side of the brain together, they say, and it's sort of in the middle where you get the joke, so to speak. So your brain is functioning in its highest form when you laugh and get the joke. So when you speak, let's just take speaking, for example. When you're out there speaking, you speak to different groups, and you're Mr. Funny, you get it. How do you know what's appropriate? How do you know what will most likely land? At a, let's say you had a corporate gig. Well, you know, this is sort of a published thing to do. They say feel out the audience, you know, which in and of itself can be very fun, although illegal in some states. Um, 
when you understand what is going to be jokes that have a target that is sort of well-known subjects of commonality, but targets that aren't going to be harmed by what is said, which is why they always say making yourself the butt of the joke can be great. But when you're trying to be a subject matter expert on the stage, that can be tough. So when you want to take something in hand to make a joke about it, it's nice when you can take something that's not too hot of a topic. You know, like at corporate gigs, you know, they always want you to make jokes about the CEO. Not a good idea. <laughs> you know, uh, they will. They go, oh, he loves it. He loves it when you make fun of him. Yeah, maybe he does, but I'm not willing to bet my paycheck on it. So right. you got to use things that are subjects that have commonality. People can identify with it. That's why we get that element. Oh, it's funny because it's true. You know, if somebody can identify with something, that's great. Then when you can add that surprise element to it that makes it funny, also great. So I think that using subject lines that have to do with the topic that you are speaking on is a good idea, and they're not that hard to find. Everybody's got their own personal stories, and you can also look some up. And as long as you're quoting the source, you know, it doesn't matter. Funny is funny. Yeah, funny is funny. I like that. Yeah. I think there's generational humor, though, too. Millennials, what they might find funny, and you might disagree with me, could be very different from an older crowd, a gray-haired crowd that, let's say, do you think so? Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, for example, the kind of jokes that'll play on a cruise ship for the blue hairs of the world, so to speak, to me, it's a lower-hanging bar. It's lower-hanging fruit. It's a much easier bell to ring, so to speak, than with the younger folks because they've been raised on Family Guy. So, you know, in a cartoon like that, you could tell every joke in the universe in 25 minutes, you know, and make it funnier than somebody standing there trying to deliver the joke to you singularly. So they like everything immediately, they like everything fast, and they want it to be funnier than the last thing that they heard. So they are tough. That is tough. I'm just thinking right now, that's making me sweat as I sit here and think about a family guy and what he's done with that animated character and that and the direction that that goes. And you're right. It's like boom, 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 boom. It's almost like how humor used to be, right? It was that one, two, three, that kind of rhythm that if you went to comedy classes that they taught you. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so while I've seen that and I've said, well, have they eliminated the need for individuals to stand in front of people and make them laugh. Gratefully, I have found the answer to be, I don't think so, because there are still plenty of people, Louis C.K., you know, lots of guys out there that still work in front of people and still make them laugh, and people will still pay to see them, and, you know, everybody wants something to be funny. You've got the what's in it for me when somebody gives a public speech. you got the what's in it for me thing. Then you have the WIBF, will it be funny, you know? It's sort of like a radio station that you're not necessarily looking for in the morning when you're passing through the radio stations on your car, but when you find it, you're really glad that you did, so you tune in. So humor, I don't think, hurts any presentation aside from, you know, announcement of layoffs and that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, but otherwise you can use it. Yeah, fair game. I think it kind of cuts through sometimes whatever it is. Like you're saying, it doesn't matter what it is you're talking about. If you're an expert on whatever subject, there's something about humor. And you mentioned it about the two sides of the brain getting in that. Really, the sweet spot is the middle spot and people getting it. And do you just know, for you especially, right, because you've done this for so long, what's that feeling like when you know you've landed it? It's the best feeling in the world, and it's one of the reasons why I recommend strongly that anybody that speaks in front of audiences have 
humor ready, have a humorous story, a humorous anecdote, a joke that comes from a book even, or something like that. Because when we all get the joke, people connect with you in a certain way that you know that we're all on the same page. You know you have them. I don't want to say you have them where you want them, but you have them where they want you. You have them right where they want you. Yeah. Yeah, and you connect in, a, in such a profound way. Yeah, boy, so true. So would you recommend that speakers, anybody listening, that they take improv or comedy or something to get themselves maybe a, a little looser or, or thinking a little differently? I strongly recommend that somebody have coaching and mentoring mechanisms at their disposal. If, if going to a class is, works well for you, Try it out. You don't know if it's going to work well or not work well until you do it. If you're scared, you know, that's good. Scared is good because you're going to be scared when you do anything humorous and when you stand up in front of people or any other thing. So embrace the scared and go for it because telling a joke when you're scared is one of the greatest things in the world, especially when it works out. Yeah. So I say, yes, go to those classes. To the degree you can do classes, if you can have a mentor that you pay, a coach, somebody that helps you with it or listens to what you do, that's great. There are also great books out there that not so much the, you know, how to write comedy and how to write humor, although those are also there. There are books on quotes for speakers, stories for speakers, humorous anecdotes for speakers. And you can find these sorts of things online. But if you go into a bookstore and actually look at the resource section, I like the way books are organized for these because they're topically related. Like, these are jokes about time management. These are jokes about office politics. These are humorous stories about communication. And these things exist so that you can actually access something to get on that plane with other people. You don't have to be a professional stand-up comedian. You don't have to feel like you're stealing other people's things. You're using tools to help entertain your audience to keep the presentation fresh. Yeah. You've done TV, commercial work, of course, film. You, know, you were in Dumb and Dumber, Independence Day, Stephen King's The Stand, Mobsters and Mormons, Spotlight. Of all of the, and this is a tough question, but let, let's say of all the movies that you've done, what was the best set that you were on? best that I was on was actually on a movie called Stronger that I did with Jake Gyllenhaal and Tatiana Baslani. I think, I don't, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm brutalizing her name. She's from the Orphan Black. She's probably her yeah. best thing to famous Orphan Black. And Jake Gyllenhaal plays the true story about the man that lost his legs and the marathon bombing. No humor there. But on this particular set, I remember going on the set and I had to pretend to eat a meal for about four hours. In pantomime, was like I had to pretend to eat this meal. And we were put in the set in this uh, in this uh, restaurant place. And often they they sit us someplace before they take us to the actual set. But we were in the set and didn't realize it. And then they brought the food out there. And there was a gal sitting next to me, very nice, had like twelve cups of coffee empty around the bottom, talking very chatty and that sort of thing. And it turned out to be Tatiana. And you know, we didn't know you're not meant to talk to the big power stars. You know, unless they talk to you. But she right. was really nice. It was awesome. And aside from that, making um, made-for-TV German movies have been my favorites. <laughs> I like that. German. I seriously, they, they film, yes, they film made-for-TV movies that are made for German TV. The set is meant to be New York. They film them here in Boston. Wow. They're my speak, favorite sets to work. speak any German? I don't speak German at all. They speak they speak English. They speak German and a quasi German and English. If I have any lines, it gets post 
the post-production edits put my words in in German. So I, yeah, so I don't know. So there are American actors and German actors and actresses. So there's two or three famous German actors and actresses, and then the rest of us are all Americans around it. But they're very nice. The crew treats everybody on the set like they're the same, whether it's the big star or the guy who, you know, holds the mic. Love it. Casey McNeil, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Here's Kate Delaney with If You Want to Get Heard. When it's used correctly, is there any doubt that humor can be a difference maker, whether you're keynoting, consulting, or involved in deeper dive workshops? The very in Christine Cashin, CSP and Hall of Famer, stopped by with a parting shot. So, Cash, where does your humor come from? I actually come from a family of lunatics. Everyone is like crazy in my family. Seriously, you're Italian, and I mean, people are out there, and we always try to make each other laugh. You want to outdo people. So I was kind of raised in that environment. And so you draw from your background. Yeah, absolutely. And everyday life. I mean, things are funny if people would just look at it the right way. Looking at it the right way, how do you do that? What if somebody's really serious and they say, well, that's I just don't understand what you mean by that. Are you talking about my husband? <laughs> I've met him. He's fabulous. So. He's fabulous, but he's a little more serious. And he's like, this really isn't a time to laugh. And I'm like, this is the perfect time to laugh. You know, when things are going wrong, it's like, you know, this is going to be funny later. Why wait? We're missing out on all the endorphins that we could be having right now. And humor in speeches, why is that so important, do you think? Good grief. It, it just, you watch the audience open up. You can almost see them relaxing when they have that light moment. And I know some people talk about some very serious things, but I think there's always room for something that could be a little bit lighter hearted to make people feel connected. I think laughter is, is bonding. It's unifying, uh, and it's necessary. I like that it's necessary. What do you tell somebody who says, oh, I'm not funny? And we've talked about look around at your life, look a little bit differently. What if they say, I'm just not funny? I think they're not trying. <laughs> I Really, you know, either get someone to, I mean, there's got to be some laughter in there. Maybe you're in the wrong business. Um, maybe you need some sort of a coach to help you find the funny that's in there. But I feel like... I don't know. They're missing. They're missing something if they don't have it. Personally, I feel like in today's society, we're becoming it's it's becoming more about laughter and humor in our lives. You see it with video and how we all run to YouTube and the funny things we can do with video. So I think if anything, the game is being elevated. Do you feel that way? Well, you know, the world is a scary, dangerous place, and I feel like it's getting more so. I mean, God, just look at the elections. And so you think. You know, people need reasons to laugh, and they're fine. They're looking for that more now than ever to help lighten up due to the stress of also everyday, everyday things that happen. Finally, persistence pays off. Even though we've had problems connecting with him in previous months, we've finally been able to reach incoming NSA President Brian Walter. He's not in the studio, but we've got him on the phone line now. Can you hear me, Brian? Absolutely, Kate. Now, you said we need to talk fast because you just had a few minutes between meetings. Is that right? Exactly. Well... Technically, it's not a meeting, really. I'm at the dentist. She just gave me a shot of Novocaine. So we need to do the interview before it kicks in. Plenty of time. All right, let's get to it then. Speaker success tips, your top three. Go. Tip one, leverage every minute of your day. You snooze, you lose. Like today, average speakers would have just read a magazine at the dentist or checked Facebook. Not me. I take client calls and do media interviews. I'm sorry, what was the last part? Media media interviews. Media interviews? Yes. 
That's what I said. Okay, you're a little hard to understand, but let's keep going. What about tip two? Follow Fripp's advice and never say stuff. Never say tough? No, stuff. Stuffed? Fluff. Fluff? No, buff. Never say buff? No, never say stubble. Never say stubble? I'm sorry, Brian. That just doesn't make sense. Within the week. I think the Novocaine has kicked in a little too much. We need to end this now and try it again next month. Thanks for trying to leverage us into your day, Brian. Until next time, this is Kate Delaney with Voices of Experience. Wait, wait, no, no, no. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.